You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. <laughs> okay, I'm glad that John shared his testimony on the day I got to preach, because that means I don't have to be up here as long. <laughs> so we are in 1 Corinthians 9, working through the, the, the entire epistle of 1 Corinthians. Uh, last week, Justin just did a really great job of basically introducing a big chunk of the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and and it's uh, it, it's chapters eight, nine, and ten that that all deal with one subject. He's kind of doing a variation on a theme here as he as he works his way through, and believe it or not, it carries on into the worship within that church in chapters eleven and twelve, thirteen, and and fourteen. So this is a real major part here, and, and we may not realize it. Like Justin says, sometimes we read, we read too fast, and we skim, and, and we miss some things. So uh, we're going to take a minute here to uh, to talk about this chapter and uh, try to whittle it down to one one big idea, hopefully. So um, have you heard the phrase "whatever it takes"? Okay, maybe you've even said that at some point. Hey, what, whatever it takes, uh, that phrase conveys the idea of doing anything necessary uh, to complete a task or a goal. All right, and usually with a sense of reckless abandon. You know, whatever it takes, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. So I was thinking, well, maybe I'll ask how many people have ever been in a situation where it was a whatever it takes situation, and I thought, well, will people respond to that? So I asked my wife. I said, you know, what would you say would would have been a whatever it takes um, situation for you in life? And and what did you say? Don't say it exactly like you said it to me because we've got to keep it PG. But <laughs> giving birth to a baby, okay? Yeah, she was a little bit more graphic as she described. <laughs> but I thought, yeah, that really is a situation where you, whatever it takes, you know, this, we're bringing this child into the world because there's no staying here, you know, kind of thing. So I thought, dang, I can't top that one. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty good one. But but how about you? Is there anybody out there that had a whatever it takes situation where you just said whatever, you know, I, I'm going to do whatever's necessary so that this task or this goal gets gets finished, right? Without going into the long story, appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I went to a youth convention uh, in uh, relation to the college that we, we, my wife and I attended, um, and I was probably twelve or thirteen years of age, maybe, yeah. And uh, I remember the altar call. I was sitting in the balcony of a larger church which meant I would have had to go a long ways down to the altar, so I just did it right there. I said, I'll do whatever it takes God. Okay. In, in re- relation to following Him. Okay. So you just stayed where you were at there instead of going all the way down there, and then you told God, whatever it takes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jumped over. I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just appreciate the irony in that. Uh, and I ended up here in Rapid City. There you go. There you go. So, all right. That's a, that's a good, whatever it takes. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else? Maybe a quick one? Isaac? Well, I kind of have had some of those. I worked at a summer camp in around about for several years. But I basically ended up being the person in charge of maintenance for the whole camp. 
took on way too much stress and stuff and you know, saying whatever it takes and kind of wrecking part of my life as a result for extended periods of time. Because instead of kind of similar to testimony earlier too, but kind of tend to take on things and say, I'm gonna do this on my strength with my will, with my power, and I don't need anybody else. Mm. So that is not a good decision to make. Okay. All right. There's a good example on the negative side of going too far with whatever it takes, depending on oneself. Mary? Uh, I think about five years ago when um, my husband and I were separated and we were just ready to, well, I was ready to call it quits. And, and then God kind of did work in my life and we both realized that we were just going to do whatever it takes to open up to each other and, and establish our relationships. Awesome. But we are here. Wow, thanks for doing that and also thanks for sharing that because, you know, we have to have a whatever it takes attitude in a lot of things. So, um, so the one that came to my mind is quite a few years ago is at a, a church that was, it, it had finally kind of grown to the point where we could have a softball team. And so we started a softball team, and the the ladies wanted a softball team too, so we started a ladies softball team. And I'm not a good softball player, so I, I didn't get on the men's softball team, but they put me with the ladies to be the base coaches, you know, to work with the base coaches there, right? So, uh, like I said, the only reason we had this team was because the church had grown big enough to have a team, and the ladies thought it would be fun to play church league softball. If you've ever been involved with church league softball, it's not fun. They, they take it very seriously. That trophy matters. And you sometimes wonder and question other people's salvation while you're playing the game. <laughs> so, you know, I'm playing all these other churches. So it was quite an eye-opening experience. And um, let me just say that, that the first couple of years of our ladies playing, they always won the sportsmanship award at the end of the season. Because when you lose every single game and show yourself as a good sport in spite of it, um, you know, you get the sportsmanship award. So it kind of became the joke of, of that. Well, I'll never forget the, the night, the first time in two seasons of actually getting a runner to third base. Yeah, that's how bad it was. So this gal, Marion, she makes she makes it to first base, right? And she's so excited that she got on base. She wants to be the first one to get to third base on on their on that team. So she, I'm third base coach. She yells all the way across the diamond to me. She says, "Nick, get me to third base." Yell at me, scream at me, call me names, tell me I run like a cow, I don't care. <laughs> Whatever it takes, get me to third base. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I wasn't too worried about it because it never happens. You know? Well, the next next girl up, she got a pretty good hit, and, uh, and Marion made it to second, which was quite an accomplishment if you ever saw Marion run. <laughs> you know? And now she's on second base, and I'm like, okay. And I said, all right, Marion. I said, you got to make it here to me and, and, and stuff. So next girl comes up, and pow, man, it was a great line drive way out deep in the left field, and I'm like, run, Marion, run! You're, you're running 
I'm like, a cow, a three-legged cow, come on! (laughs) She's loping into the third base, and and I'm thinking, she is not going to make it. Well, these fields aren't the kind you want to slide in because it's all gravel and lime, you know, and so she's coming in hot, standing out, well, as hot as she could, you know, at about two miles per hour, and I'm standing there going, come on, come on, come on, just screaming, windmilling my arms and everything, whatever it takes, Mary, get here, and I'm watching, you know, to see if the, and and I'm like, oh, the ball's coming in, I don't know if she's going to make it. And and she hit the bag standing up. Not on top of the bag. She hit the side of the bag and pitched forward. Okay? She made it to third base before the ball came in, but now she is out of control going going in for a face plant. And I'm standing right there as she's coming, and I did this. <laughs> Okay. Now, yeah, what? Okay. Well, here's the thing you got to understand. It took every ounce of my will to, to, to do that. And the, and the reason is, is she said, whatever it takes. If I had touched her, she would have automatically been out. Base coaches can't touch the runners. So I had to get out of her way so that her run would count. Or, or you know, She never did make it home. But she made it to third base, you know, whatever it took. And I'm like, I'm so glad my mom was not there. She would have heard the things that I said to Marion to get her to run to there. In fact, after that inning, as I was walking around uh, the stands, I got accosted by about three ladies from the other church for being a very horrible, horrible man. You know, for the things that I said to Marion and, and, and for not catching her when she fell. <laughs> and I just had to take it, you know, and so, and I got back. Back to the dugout, Marion gave me a hug, and she says, "Thanks for getting me to third base." You know, and that was our victory. You know, that was, we never did win a game that season either, but that was a huge victory that Marion made it to third base. Okay, so sometimes, yeah, you got to have a whatever it takes attitude. So, let's read the text. I need a drink already. First Corinthians chapter nine. Let me get a sip because this is a long chapter. Uh, get your Bibles out. Hang on. <laughs> Hold on tight because uh, here we go. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. It's it's not about oxen that God is concerned. Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, Is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we do not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel 
of Christ. And you might even add into that that statement there where he says, we put up with anything, whatever it takes. It goes on verse 13, Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what's offered at the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I'd rather die than allow someone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. For those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means possible, whatever it takes, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Holy cow! Okay, so, uh, yeah, that chapter, like most of the chapters in, in Corinth are kind of, or to, to the Corinthians are all over the map. Um, so t- to help put this together, it's right on the heels of chapter 8. And chapter 8 was basically this. It was about meat offered to idols and whether or not it was okay for the Christians to eat that meat. Okay, And Paul basically concluded, is if, if, if it's, if it's going to hurt your brother or sister in Christ, stay away from the meat. Okay, That was his conclusion. Now, we know that the Corinthians was a tough audience for Paul. We know that there was an earlier letter that he wrote, and there's going to be another letter, 2 Corinthians, that he has to write to defend his apostleship. Um, We know that there were some people in Corinth that did not want to listen to Paul's authority. Okay, They were glad for the benefit of the gospel, but that's all they wanted was the benefit. And they wanted it just for themselves and not not in in a corporate fashion. So Paul had really hard things that he had to do in this letter. And the other uh, factor that was at play in this is that there were there was a contingent uh, there was a contingent there was a group of people <laughs> in Corinth that said Paul well he's not even a real apostle. Okay? And so he has to answer all those things and deal with all those things while he's trying to, to convince them why they should give up certain liberties. Okay, there are certain gray areas that you know Jesus didn't speak on absolutely everything, 
And, and Christians have to just determine, well, what do we do in this situation? And Paul was basically saying in chapter 8 that love trumps all. That that should be the guiding light in making our decisions in any gray area. Even if it's all right for me, if, it, if it's not all right for somebody else, then, then my love for that other, that other person should allow me to say, you know what? It's not all right for me if it's not all right with you. Okay? So that's what he's saying. And now he's leading into this, and he uses as an example his right as a preacher of the gospel to get paid to preach the gospel. Okay? And I wish, you know, if that's all the chapter was about, then I could just sit here and say, pay your pastor well. Okay? That's what this Bible is really about, or this, this chapter is all about. It's, it's if someone's working in the ministry, allow them to be free to work in the ministry. Because bivocational, trivocational, all that sort of thing is just going to make the ministry suffer. They've got to, they've got to be able to focus on that and just that. Because that's enough work right there. More than enough work. Uh, right there. And so Paul really kind of lays it out that he and Peter and everybody else, that, that that's, that's what they did. Okay? Jesus even said it when he first sent his, his, his disciples out. He says, when you go in the city, you go live with people and let them support you while you're there working. Okay? So you make yourself dependent on them. It's a weird place to be as a, as a minister of the gospel, but that's, that's the way they say that it's supposed to be done. But Paul's only making that point because he's saying, you don't want to give up eating meat. All right? Because you have the superior knowledge about meat? Well, I'm going to give you an example that's even grander than that. I gave up having you, Corinthians, support me while I worked here. I had every right for you to pay me and Barnabas as we worked here, but we would not take it from you. That's, that's a big part of that whole chapter, and then he leads into the why uh, behind it. Okay, So the big idea, I think, or the main point, uh, I like to call it big idea, is that though Paul was free, he was voluntarily making himself a slave for the good of others that he wanted to win to Christ. Now, that's the big idea of this chapter, is that Paul says, I know I'm free. I, I have these rights and I have these entitlements, but I will give those up willingly so that the love of Christ can be portrayed and the gospel can be proclaimed freely and fully to them. Okay? So as we were going through there, there's one, one verse that jumped out. So there's a big idea and there's a big verse, and it's verse 19. And, and I think that's the one that, uh, that's a good one to park on here, where he says that though I'm free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all that I may win more. So following up with the idea of loving your brother for the, you know, whatever the benefit is for your brother to give up, to sacrifice that they might benefit, you know, lose your benefits so that they might benefit, he tags to this the idea of preaching the gospel. Because what greater benefit could somebody have than to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ free of charge? And there's actually kind of a little play on words in there. So for us, I think what we can take away, take home with this is that, is that there's a lot of great areas in, in life, you know, and, and Christians fight about them and some think, well, that, no, you can't do that. Or, you know, some get real legalistic on one spectrum of, of the side of it and, and, and then some just become liberalists on the other side and say, whatever, you know, whatever. In fact, uh, the Corinthians had developed their own motto that Paul quotes a couple times in this letter is that all all things are permissible, 
you know, under the grace of God, all things are permissible, which is a way of saying, I am free now to live my life however I want. Okay, that's a funny thought because ever since Adam and Eve, man always has been free to live their life however they want. It doesn't mean they're free from the consequences and judgment that can come from that, but God says, you're free to do it. You're free to live your life however you will, but there will be consequences. But now they took, they took grace and said, man, grace is so great that I, I, everything's permissible. Everything's free for me. And they went too far with that idea. So in those areas where that happens, Paul says, let's make love our true north and let's attach the gospel to that so that we're fruitful in our lives for Jesus Christ. So here it is. Uh, when you go through 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the gospel a lot through this entire letter. In fact, let me just point out a couple. One, for chapter 1, verse 17. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Okay, Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In, in chapter 4, verse 15, Though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. Uh, in chapter 9, verse 12, we well, actually, a lot of the verses in chapter 9, we see him mention the gospel. Uh, he, said, uh, he said he does not want to put a gospel, or a gospel, an obstacle in the way of the gospel. Uh, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should make their living by the gospel. That's chapter 9, verse 14. Uh, in verse 16, he says, If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for, bo- for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. And what a great statement. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You know, Paul's saying, it, you know, now as a Christian, if I don't proclaim the gospel, then, then I'm ruined. What's the point of being a Christian if I don't proclaim the gospel? In verse 18, he says that that preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. That was his reward, to be able to come to the Corinthians and say, hey, without it being a financial burden to you, I want you to know the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't want anything to get in the way of you hearing about Jesus, even if it's money. That was a great sacrifice for Paul to make. He said that everything that he did, he did all for the sake of the gospel in chapter 9, verse 23. And then he closes the, the, in chapter 15, as he gets to his closing, he says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. You know, it's interesting. Paul, uh, Paul mentions the gospel uh, 67 times in all of his letters. And, and in all of the New Testament, that's 70% of the references made to the gospel were made by Paul. So the gospel really mattered to Paul. Uh, The idea of people knowing about who Jesus was was paramount to Paul. He said, everything else could be set aside. I'm going to do whatever it takes for people to hear the gospel. What do you think is Paul's most famous citation concerning the gospel? I bet some of you have it memorized. Any guesses? Romans 1, 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Now, that, that's what Paul thought about the gospel. I am not ashamed of it because it is the power of God for salvation. Now, here's where we're getting to the really cool part of this. 
You combine that verse with what he said earlier in chapter 2 in his letter to Corinth, 1 Corinthians. He says this, my speech, my message were not in, in, in plausible words of wisdom. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, I came with a really great argument. But it was a demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Okay, now here's where we have to have an understanding about this word power. Okay, um, in the Greek, it's dunamis. Okay, uh, we transliterate the Greek into the English into a word that looks pretty familiar to us. What's the first word you think of when you see dynamis? Dynamite. Has anybody ever experienced dynamite? Other than, oh no, that shows my age. Jimmy Walker in good times. Dynamite, he would say. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it, it's, it's, it, we, when we think of dynamite, we think of explosive power, yeah, destructive power usually. Well, here's how this word is used, and I want to break down how, how the Greek word is used in literature, including the Bible. And the first idea is usually the, the idea we get when we think of power. Power consisting in or resting upon armies, forces, battle. Okay, But that's not what Paul's talking about. It's also used in Greek literature to reflect power and resources arising from numbers. Okay, The more the better. Okay, There's great power in, in community. But that's not what he's talking about here. Uh, it's used to describe power and influence, which belongs to riches and wealth. Okay, we, we see that in our culture, that the, the wealthy tend to hold a lot of power. But that's not what Paul's talking about when he uses this word here. Um, moral power, or the excellence of the soul. Now we're getting close. But even then, that's not what Paul's referring to when he uses this word here. It's also translated into this phrase of the power of performing miracles. Okay, and that's what we usually think of, that when the gospel came, it was a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. But notice he said, of the Spirit, and that's where you see the demonstration of miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit, but also another power other than just the Holy Spirit's work. It comes down to this. This is what Paul was using the word dynamis for. Inherent power. Power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. Okay? Like a, like a battery. <laughs> the, the virtue of the battery's nature is a power comes out of it. But in this sense, he's talking about God's power. And have you ever thought about that? Have you ever sat down and go, man, God's power. How do I describe God's power? Um, maybe you thought God's power is like the sun. Okay, man, can you imagine that nobody can get close to the sun? They'll just burn up. There's so much power in the sun. And, and we think, well, that, 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 it's, it's just God being God. He's just immaculate and huge and transcendent. And I would disintegrate if I stepped into his presence, which is true. But if that's how we think of God's power, then we've got it all wrong. Because remember that the word dynamis means that it's, it's, it's something that's there because of the nature of God. And here's where we find out what God's power really is. 1 John chapter 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. 
And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This power that Paul's talking about is God's love. Expressed in the Gospel through the person of Jesus Christ. When we speak of the power of God, I will propose to you that that power is, because of His inherent nature, His love. There is no force greater. There is no surplus of energy sitting somewhere more vast. There is nothing bigger than God's love for you. Nothing can get past it. Nothing can can wrestle it. John <laughs> couldn't fight it. Now, I know a lot of you are out there, you know, all you guys are now looking at me going, I can take him. <laughs> You're looking at me. <laughs> but none of us could, could overpower the love of God. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that is what God said it would take for Him to win you back to His heart. His love for us. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible that I think best demonstrates a whatever-it-takes attitude is the, the story in the Gospels about the four friends who had the paralytic friend, you know? And Jesus was in a house, and they're like, man, we got to get this guy to Jesus. He's got power. <laughs> let's, let's, let's get our paralyzed friend to him. And they get there, and the house is just packed full of people, and they can't get through the door. There's too many people between them and Jesus to get their friend to him. So one of them comes up with this harebrained idea and tears a hole through the roof. They go up on the roof, and that had to be something, you know, hauling a paralyzed guy up in a cot up there and this flat roof and everything. And then they start digging. I just got to imagine what Jesus was doing. He had to know what was going on. You know, he's Jesus. And, and he's probably thinking to himself while he's teaching to this crowd, he's probably going, oh man, they're going to see something like they've never seen before. There's probably bits of ceiling landing on his head, and he didn't care. Finally, a little beam of light shines down from the hole these guys make. He looks up, he sees two or three faces looking down there at him, and they make it a little bit bigger, and he's just like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Because he knows what's coming. And they lowered that friend down to Jesus. Not only so that he would be set free from his his paralytic condition, but to hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. That's an expression of God's love to this paralyzed man. And those guys did whatever it took for their friend to experience the love of God. To experience the gospel in living human form. The only other greater example of whatever it takes is found in Jesus Christ himself. You know, it's interesting, later on in in Corinthians, we're going to hear Paul say, follow my example. Because that's what he's doing here. He's setting an example for the Corinthians to, to, to deal with this issue. He says, follow my example as I follow Jesus Christ. 
I'll never forget learning what youth ministry really was. I had a 16-year-old boy who was in my youth group, and he was the only boy in my youth group. So we became really good buddies. And one day we showed up to an event, and we were both wearing the same conference T-shirt. We were both wearing Army fatigues, and we were both wearing tennis shoes, and we both had hair that went past our shoulder. And uh, all, all the ladies there, you know, oh, aren't you guys cute? You should call each other before you show up to things, you know, kind of thing. And so they started calling us the twins and all that. Anyway, uh, I thought I was being really super spiritual when I said, Steve, um, hey, buddy, yeah, it's flattering that you want to imitate me. But if you're going to imitate somebody, imitate Jesus. I'm being all Mr. Youth Pastor to this guy, right? You know what Steve did without even blinking? All right, show me Jesus and I'll imitate him. Oh. <laughs> and then I suddenly realized that really is what ministry is. Show people Jesus so that they know what Jesus looks like and they would know how to imitate him. And, and Paul was following that example. So here's, here's, what, here's what we know about Jesus and the example that he set for Paul and that he sets for all of us. Jesus gave up all of his rights and all of his privileges to become a servant to every single human being on the face of this earth. Whether they deserved it or not, and really nobody deserved it. He did that. He gave up every right, every privilege. He veiled his glory in human flesh. He became the most fragile of physical life, being born as a baby in Bethlehem. He surrendered his free will exercise of his own omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. He said, you know, I can do that whenever I want, but I'm, I'm setting that aside, and when my father tells me, I will. He restricted himself with human frailty. He knew weakness. He knew thirst. He knew hunger. He knew weariness. He knew pain. And this is God doing this. This is God restricting Himself and experiencing these things for your benefit and mine. God became dependent on the support of others. And most of it were the ladies who financially funded Jesus in His ministry. He had this attitude that whenever He met somebody that the rest of the world found annoying, they would tell Him, hey, shut up, don't quiet down, we don't want to hear you. Jesus would go to these people and he'd say things like this, what do you want me to do for you? You see how backwards that is? We should be coming to God and say, God, what do you want me to do for you? But instead, God came to us and said, what can I do? What can I do for you? Because I'll do it. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Jesus said, I did not come to, to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a, as a ransom for many. Jesus, who was God, had the right and privilege to be worshipped by every single person he encountered, but instead he exposed himself to rejection, to scorn, to accusations, to mockery, to brutality, to insults. And ultimately, the most shameful form of execution that man had ever developed at that time. When Jesus looked at the cross, knowing the agony that it would entail, not just physically, but also when our sins would come upon Him and separate Him from His Father, that, that's hell. 
knowing that He would experience our hell on that cross, He looked at that cross with an attitude of whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. If it means that lonely soul sitting in Common Ground Church someday in March of 2019 coming to know my love, I will do whatever it takes for them. That's the Gospel. And that's what Paul preached. And that's what Paul sought to exemplify in his own life. Whatever it takes that somebody would know who this wonderful Jesus is. So when Paul proclaimed the Gospel, he did it intentionally. He did it purposefully. But he also proclaimed it free of charge in Corinth. Even though he had every right to be taking financial support from the people of Corinth for what he was doing, he said, I'm not going to do that. I don't know what his motivation for that was. It could be that there were people that were saying, hey, he's not a real apostle, he's just in it for the cash. And Paul's probably thinking, if that's going to obstruct people from hearing about Jesus, then I'm not taking money from anybody here. You know, in 2 Corinthians, we find out God did a good job of taking care of Paul. Because when he surrendered that right to, to be paid for doing what he was doing, God moved in the hearts of other churches, poorer churches than Corinth, to send support to Paul. Isn't that amazing? God always finds a way. Well, let me wrap it up with this. I think there's three takeaways we can, we can bring home from this, this chapter. There's still so much more to explore from it, but uh, time only allows this much. But I think we should at least go home with this much today. Is that the power of God is best demonstrated through His love. If you know the love of God, you know His power. If God has ever shown Himself powerful to you, it's because He loves you. And nothing is greater than that power. A second takeaway is that, is that love... It's not what the world often defines as love. And the Corinthians, the Corinthians they, they kind of had a, a cultural view of love rather than a biblical view of love. And boy, it's a hard one to, to pin down. But when we're talking about this love that is God's love, it is, it is the choice to give up personal benefits or privileges for the benefit of others. That's always how God's love works. It's when, when we choose to give up a benefit that others might benefit. Somebody once told me that, and, and this is how I've always held on to it, is that, that, that love is, is when, I choose, uh, when I choose the best that God can give to somebody else no matter what it's going to cost me. Anything else isn't love, but that is. Because that's what Jesus did. He brought us God's best grace and forgiveness for our sins, uh, though we never deserved it. And, he, and he, 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 he did it at the most incredible personal cost that you and I might benefit. And then the third takeaway is that to, to follow the example of Christ, like Paul did, then we must ask, well, what is it that I'm willing to give up? That the story of Jesus could reach every corner of our city. What, what am I willing to sacrifice 
so that 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 every part of our society in Rapid City could could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. What will it take for people in our town to know about the love of God? What will it take? Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you today. Um, We come because we know your power. We may not know it as well we, we, as, as we should. We may not understand it as fully as, as, as we can. And I don't think we could ever completely um, define your love and put it in a box that we could somehow contain. But, but Lord, even the smallest little grain of experiencing your power is, is what has made our lives what it is today. And as John shared, it's a... It's a, 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 a um, it's a process that that teaches us to trust you. Lord, my prayer is this, is that uh, when we struggle to trust you, that we would be reminded of your power. And to know that your power is your love for us, demonstrated through Jesus Christ. Lord, we may not have a lot of things figured out in life. We may be baffled just by our circumstances. Maybe we've been walking with you for a long time and we've confused faith as performance. And somehow we got to be a certain way, act a certain way. When the reality is, is all, all we have to do is recognize your great love for us that that has the power to change us. Lord, we pray that we would become better receivers of that power. And not just so that we can contain it to ourselves, but so that we can give it up for the sake of others. Lord, we pray for our city. We pray for those souls that do not know you, that do not know hope, that do not know peace, that do not know love or joy. And we ask God that we would be a people willing to do whatever it takes to see them around third base and run home to you. So Lord, do your work in our hearts that we can do the work of your kingdom together and that more might see the great and wonderful love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.